0: Hi, this is Benjamin Joff, partner at SOSV. We invest in early-stage startups with a focus on deep tech, ranging from cellular agriculture to neurotech and service robots. In this podcast, startup founders and investors tell us how innovation can go from lab to market. If you have a tailwind, looking into IPO
1: prospects in a few years, the typical kind of funding before IPO is Series C for many of the Japanese startups.
0: Sota Nagano is a partner at IBS Ventures, a $40 million early-stage deep tech fund based in Tokyo. It is backed by Taizo Son, a billionaire tech investor and younger brother of Masa, creator of the famous Vision Fund. IBS Ventures invest in Japan on the broad in industrial tech, but also opportunistically in multiple sectors including advanced sensors, space tech and life sciences. Prior to IBS, SOTA studied in the US and Italy, worked on Wall Street and co-founded an automotive engineering startup named GLM, which Financial Times called Japan's Tesla and which he took public for $1.5 billion in 2017. In this episode, we discuss SOTA's journey to deep tech investment, the competitive advantages of IBS thanks to their broad industry network, the most promising deep tech sectors in Japan and the opportunities for exits, notably with fast IPOs. Finally, Sota shares his thoughts about the cost of failure in Japan and the parallels he sees between Japan's tech sector and the situation described in Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Hi Sota, pleasure to have you today. Thank you for having me. To get started, it would be great to understand more about where you're from in terms of a professional background and what IBS is doing in deep tech. I'll be delighted to. So my name is Nagano.
1: I'm a founder and a partner of IBS Ventures. We primarily invest into deep tech companies based out of Japan and also in North America. Just briefly about my background. I started as an investment banker in London and moved to New York, came back to Tokyo as M&A and capital products structurer. And later, because of my keen interest towards the mechanical engineering, particularly in automotive realm. I started an automotive engineering company called GLM based out of Kyoto. The technology was around the high voltage drivetrain systems from Kyoto University. I took the company public overseas for 1.5 billion U.S. market cap by then. With that kind of combination between my understanding of financial markets global investors scene and understanding towards the engineering and deep tech throughout my time at GLM, I wanted to create the venture capital fund that has led to uh, starting uh, obvious ventures.
0: Your background is very interesting because it's very unusual as well. Uh, you come from finance, then you went into entrepreneurship and pretty deep tech at that. GLM was called by the media the Tesla of Japan, even though your target was more engineering rather than consumer products, I understand, right? That's right. Yep. Of course, Jim had
1: their own line of cars under the brand called Atomicaira. I did a launch at the Paris Motor Show right next to uh, Carlos Gold and Mr. Margoni. We did have these uh, serial production because we needed to have the holistic understanding about the vehicle engineering uh, and vehicle dynamics and safety and regulations around the world. But I'd say 95% of the revenue was coming from taking holistic
0: engineering projects from large OEMs. It's not just entrepreneurship and finance that are generally quite separate in Japan, but also the fact that you have so much international experience. Can you tell how your interest being more international started?
1: My first exposure to overseas was in my high school time. I did apply for high school exchange program. That was for a year. So I was awarded 15,000 cash as a prize winner. I saw that an opportunity, but didn't have like that much of a keen interest towards overseas. But that decision and opportunity really did open up my eyes that led to getting a job in Wall Street, as well as taking a higher education in Italy, that has kind of sparked my interest in national finance and also automotive realm. After coming back and started GLM, there wasn't any ecosystems and uh, i must say back in 2008 or 2007 when at first i first kind of fiddling with the idea that was almost barren no proper uh, financiers were there we were kind of forced to look elsewhere outside of kyoto outside of japan uh, to look for business opportunities i personally didn't have any hindrance to look elsewhere probably because of this experience
0: On the fund side, IBS Ventures is one of the very few deep tech-focused funds in Japan. This is your first fund with $40 million. They understand it has strong ties with the Son family, in particular with Taizo Son, the younger brother of Masa, of the Vision Fund. What is the position of the Son family within the Japan tech ecosystem, and how IBS came to be with you, Taizo, and the other partners?
1: The name of a Song family is a glorious one. Not just the founder of a stock bank, as well as his younger brother, he is also the self-made billionaire. And he was uh, one of the early founders of uh, Yahoo Japan. And that led to starting a few of the online businesses about 20 years ago that made him a very wealthy person. He was also an entrepreneur from the University of Tokyo. He takes a great deal on giving opportunities to the younger people with brilliant minds. And he felt the strong necessities to start a community here in Japan. Out of his own pocket, he created the funds to support these uh, brilliant entrepreneurs. And for that reason, and if you get to work with them, then it's a really honorable thing for any startup uh, or entrepreneurs.
0: So he's made multiple startup investments for many years already, and uh, he's been very successful at it. He's also set up some kind of incubator and early stage fund. So this is not his first fund. Absolutely, you're right.
1: This platform that I've mentioned is called Misoto, uh, which has a very strong presence here in Japan uh, because of its activities in the past decade or so. The organization was very keen on making investments as an LP, not just acting as a GPs or uh, being a primary investor, but also being an LP, not limited to Japan, but also outside. Because it was running with the family office structure, they were not bound with the geography or the phase of the companies that has created a
0: rather interesting ecosystem around. The name of a missile. How did you connect with him and how was Abias created? Our founder, the management partner, Yamaguchi-san,
1: we have a long-standing friendship, about 10 years. He has been the CIO of the Nisoto, so he's been a very close right-hand man for Taizo. After I took my previous company with GLM in the public, I was looking for a next project, and we did want to contribute to Japan, and especially in the deep tech realm. One day we got together, he made an intro about the obvious ventures he had
0: an idea about, and we put together as a fund. So why the focus on deep tech? Japan has a very strong reputation around technology, but on the international scene, we haven't seen a whole lot of Japanese deep tech companies make the news globally. So why did you decide to focus on this sector?
1: One, because of my personal experience, right? Uh, I did go through uh, difficult times when I first started the deep tech company, especially if you're not based out of Tokyo. That goes for both projects as well as for finance. We ended up gathering a majority of the capital from outside of Japan. The situation is very different right now. But from this past experience, and of course, our technology was coming from uh, Kyoto universities, I I wanted to uh, help them through being kind of a dedicated venture capitalist uh, in deep tech. I feel it, it is probably the right time to do so.
0: Okay. Are there some iconic companies that uh, people might know of or you think are interesting already on the market? Notable
1: ones. Hopefully, GLM will be considered as one of them. <laughs> Uglena, which is the Algae based companies, uh, Cyberdymes, robotics uh, suit companies. They have
0: not just a deep tech, but
1: also a business. They played it right. Okay,
0: so those are public companies in deep tech in Japan. You're familiar with a lot of international markets. Do you feel Japan has a high level of activity in deep tech? And what are the sectors you think are the most active?
1: Chemical and material is one. And the second will be a space. University has been kind of a source of knowledge, and they were feeding a lot of talents as well as technologies for JAXA, which is the equivalent of NASA. here. These universities are mostly public, by the way. So universities have under the pressure to be self-sustainable uh, when it comes to the cash management. So they have strong IP management as well as strongly encouraging entrepreneurship, and they take a stake out of these companies. Especially in these uh, high functioning chemical companies, strong uh, companies have been funding uh, these projects to the universities. We haven't seen too many really spur the growth at this point, but with the proper kind of guidance. And if the serial entrepreneur in the deep tech
0: realm will start coming back, then there will be huge opportunities going through your portfolio. I noticed that you're covering quite a broad range of sectors. You have semiconductors. You have some biotech. You have automotive related. You even have quantum and space tech. Can you give some example of how those deals came to be? Like, how did you find those companies? What made them attractive to you? In the
1: investment world, it's, it's about the ecosystem and relationships. So there are a few ways that we tend to source deals. One of them is through our partners and uh, from mistletoe relationships. Mistletoe has been a very active LP investors around the world. I can't do name dropping, unfortunately but very notable venture capitals from the West Coast to Europe, and they were early investors into these prominent funds. They tend to give us a heads up on very interesting company early on. Nestle headquarters has moved to Singapore, and Singapore has been pushing deep tech, especially in the computing field. They come to us because there aren't that many venture capitalists who invest into this realm. Let's take the quantum computing. We need to care about IR. Of course, we go deep dive into the technologies, but we don't do hardware that much. But the company that we invested into does the compiler
0: for quantum computing. So it's a bridge between the quantum world and the regular software world. That's right. Can you tell also a bit about the biotech company uh, you invested in and some of the automotive and sensor related? How did you get into those sectors and uh, what kind of advantage you have dealing with those?
1: Let's take the ultrasound systems. We just invested a few months ago. They are serial entrepreneurs from the West Coast. The team has uh, developed gyro sensors that are embedded within the mobile or the uh, gaming consoles and also on the side they were working on ultrasonic technologies and early on they were looking at the automotive applications for uh, autonomous uh, vehicles that has led to considering the medical field but automotive does take a bit of time and also medical and finally they start seeing the mobile applications in the era of 5g's I'm pretty sure you've seen some of the latest phones. There are more curvature surfaces, but because the wavelength is very short and antenna embedded throughout these cell phones, that creates a very little space for physical buttons. The market is demanding on the designs and waterproofing and cost structures. getting tighter. That is where ultrasonic technology can be applied. Going back to a question, how we can help Japan is, when it comes to consumer electronics industry for cell phones in China, uh, Taiwan, the EMS companies has been kind of driving force, but all the production has moved. There are a lot of global procurements and technology centers for these large OEMs. So a lot of the testing has been done here in Japan. This is where we come in to have them engage with some of
0: these companies to be kind of a, presented as a package. So your industry connections give them business opportunities. Can you talk about Algal Bio? Like how did you meet with the founders? What potential did you see? And also how did you do the technical due diligence? Cause your team has broad experiences, but maybe fairly new to biotech.
1: Right this is a of a very rare case because we have uh, openly said that we rarely look at bio but from my past company we did have one of the uh, investors from uh, Tokyo University and they were the investor into my previous company one of the partners from this fund has reached out to me uh, saying that there's a company that I should definitely uh, have a look at and coincidentally I, I did have multiple inquiries from uh, some of the family offices who were in the food realm they were looking for alternative non-chemical based color additives and also of so functional oils like omega 3 but not fish based and they were looking for this sort of technologies of course we needed to go through the rigorous technical due diligence which we found the partners to do and have partnering universities to perform they're sitting on you know thousand different type of the algae strains and uh, they do have a technology to shoot the heavy ion into these algaes, where they can strictly control what sort of efficacy of these functional oil can be made. And of course, there are these different types of color additives, which can be applied for the food industry. Later on, they're looking at the functional oils, where there is a kind of a proof in white papers around how it regresses the amnesia just uh, huge issues around the world, but without having too much
0: FDA regulations. It sounds like you saw the appeal of the company, even though you hadn't done a lot of biotech before, because of the industry demand, the background of the founder, and also the technology that they had that, if I understand, allows them to cultivate and customize algae for health, for food additives and supplements and colors and all sorts of functions. Right, that's correct. That's great. One last company I noticed in your portfolio, because I also met the founder, and I was quite impressed by his personality, his style, and also his skills, of course, is Pixie Dust. Can you talk more about them? It's a Japanese company, right?
1: Right. The founder is Mr. Ochi. He positioned himself as a visionary. He is widely publicized here in, in Japan. He has his own media channels and also appears on the daily news channel as well. So he's a very well-known figure, but he's an engineer by heart based out of Tsukuba University. This company has the uh, ultrasonic phase array device. A very, very unique technology. It's kind of a spatial sound wave control technologies that can be applied in many different ways. So it's ultrasounds as an interface, right? That is correct. So one foreseeable application would be where we step into the airport, there'll be uh, like many announcements in English or French or Cantonese. Oftentimes you miss out uh, these important uh, information. But with this spatial target ultrasound speakers, you can target a particular person.
0: Uh, so you can make personal announcements that only certain people will hear in their suitable language. Correct. Like position the sound wherever you want. That's right, and the the
1: same technology can be applied for automotive where drivers can only hear the guidance while the kids in the back seats can watch the d v d but without their headphones.
0: Wow, that's very interesting, yeah, I was very impressed by your also his style because he's quite a young p h d he has a kind of cosplay very quirky style, so ask him why do you have this particular style well first uh, that's he likes it, of course, but he said it also had a lot of benefits because a lot of geeky young researchers, they also like that style and they feel right. comfortable talking to him and engaging with him because he has a lot of appeal. So he said that was great for, for PR and recruiting as well, <laughs> 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 which, which are actually very difficult things to do for many startups. So that, that was very interesting to hear that from him. Okay, so maybe to switch gear here about more general ideas around deep tech. You talked about the deal flow, working with the partners, working with the universities and the industry partners as well to validate some of the deals and to test the technology. What do you want to see in a deep tech company when you invest in it? And what do you see are the typical problems, particularly that Japanese teams face?
1: As an investor, we want to have a proprietary technology, fully IP patentable and the team there we can't expect too many serial entrepreneurs in japan and deep tech companies do have longer investment horizons, so there's a high risk of uh, the company being hit by the economic uh, downturn raising capital and whatnot so the team has to be fairly solid so yeah in in
0: the end of the day i guess it's it's all our team and technology where we look at these days we're actually suffering from downturn and challenges with coronavirus Can you tell what's happening to your portfolio and to your activities as an investor in that environment? One is the uh,
1: financing environment. The second is the actual business development for these startups. I guess it's different by its sector, but uh, for electronics type of companies, design can be done remotely and to have the actual face-to-face. If you have the teams in China or Taiwan, they are recovering quicker than the rest of the world. So in that sense, this combination between remote work and on-site can happen. So we don't see strong hindrance. Some of the R&D lab need to provide samples to the large corporates to get over the POC stage. The Japanese universities and research systems has been kind of dispersed all over the country. Some of the facilities has been locked down and some of the researchers can't use some of the facilities. But still, the labs outskirts of the cities, they are still up and running uh wet labs and there are still very much inactive and a lot of a business are taking place over zoom japanese corporates has been swiftly adjusting to this new mode of communications and we see very little impact for our portfolio companies to
0: this point well that's very impressive it's really good news From the operational standpoint, they have to realign and be a lot more efficient. On the funding side, Japan is quite particular because of the prevalence of corporate VCs within venture capital. Have you seen some impact of the coronavirus situation on fundraisers?
1: I guess different uh, how swiftly investors make decisions, but uh, deep tech tends to uh, take a bit more time because we do have to go of a deep dive into the technologies and we sometimes do it ourselves, but in many cases, you outsource these uh, due diligences and that requires a lot of on-site technical due diligences, at least for the deal pipelines that we are considering right now. We've done it before the pandemic. But from here on, no matter how many of the Zoom meetings will take place, in the end of the day, we will have to have a a face-to-face on-site due diligence to look at actual products or the processes in order for us to make our investments. There will be an impact on the finance side,
0: especially in deep tech. One more question is around the entrepreneurial environment in Japan. You mentioned that some deep tech founders come from university, come from industry.
1: As a premise, Japanese corporates are promoting open innovations. And for them, of course, dealing with the uh, third party startups is one of the things, but also you're trying to foster new companies from the company itself. I mean, they will be funding these projects. They will be very supportive. So there is kind of a common ground that they can strike. If you're well enough to go on your own, there will be a sufficient backing ecosystem here, both from financial as well as government grants and facilities and whatnot. Once you get past the Series A, for example... You're able to raise capital from prominent to CBCs if you have a tailwind. You're looking into IPO prospects in a few years, the typical kind of funding before IPO is a Series C for many of the Japanese
0: startups. It's quite unique in Japan that the stock market is actually quite accessible to startups. Some go public on what would be considered uh, small caps or, or micro caps, actually, in the U.S. stock exchange. About three years ago, I was in Tokyo at an event. I actually met Dr. Chi. And also present was the former CEO of Hitachi. And I asked him, okay, so during your time, if an engineer decides to leave Hitachi to create a company, tries for a couple of years and it doesn't work and wants to come back, what would happen? So he thought about it for a few seconds. His answer was Yurusarenai. We wouldn't forgive him. The perception is that there's a pretty high social and career cost in failing a startup. It's not really considered As positive experience, and it makes you less employable. Do you think that's still the case? And do you think that might make potential founders hesitant to start companies?
1: Up until this point, market has been favorable for startups. So I guess that has lessened the mental barriers for many of the uh, entrepreneurs. But in reality, if, if they truly want to go back to these
0: companies, they will still be a bit of a hurdle, I must say that's the case in most markets around the world and that's kind of unfortunate because the lower the cost of failure the more people will be encouraged to to try things but that's interesting to know as an update on the situation so maybe to wrap up what are your recommendations in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic <laughs> I I confine myself in the uh, little hut
1: uh, outskirts of Kyoto. And so what I'm not doing with chopping work or taking calls like these, I do a lot of uh, thoughts as to how I got to where I am and also throughout my entrepreneurial experience and what needs to be changed. I don't have like exact solution to that, but I kind of reminded this book written by Ayn Rand called Atlas Shrugged. It is a fairly well-known book. It's about the subjectism and objectism it is taking place in the society and not treating these entrepreneurs and brilliant minds and industrialists and scientists, right? And they start kind of disappear. Similarities with what has happened in Japan. It's. Of course, one of the largest economies, but at the same time, societies is a little bit like socialism. So I see a resemblance and I feel this new wave of embracing uh, startups hopefully uh, wouldn't stop. So that apocalyptic world that at last <laughs> shrugged come to be real. I know I might digress, but I recently watched the movie called Layer Cake. Uh, it's a crime fiction played by Daniel Craig uh, before he played a uh, double seven movies. He's a narcotics trader, but he conducts business in a very professional manner. He gets trapped in a weird situation. Another whole thing nearly just crumbles apart. I wasn't necessarily assume the situations, but when I was an entrepreneur, because the company is on such a tight string, as an executive, when you make a,
0: one mistake, that would lead to something terrible well check it out that's a very welcome recommendation well sota thanks a lot for your time and your insights
1: likewise stay safe and hopefully we'll see each other soon
0: thanks for listening to know more about abs check out their website portfolio on twitter stream Subscribe now for future episodes. Follow us on Twitter at LabToMarket and at SOSV or visit our other podcasts, Designing Science on Biology and China Startup Pulse on Asia cross-border internet.